Welcome to the County Pulse, Episode 4. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia's county governments. I'm Dean Lynch, Executive Director of the Virginia Association of Counties, and your host for this segment on Medicaid expansion and what it means for county governments. Our segment today is sponsored by Monty Dice, President of Asset Protection Group in partnership with AFLAC. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Lee, Director of the Department of Medical Assistance Services. Prior to her appointment as Director of DMAS, Dr. Lee served as Deputy Undersecretary for Health, Policy, and Services and Senior Advisor to the Secretary at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, where she was responsible for overseeing national policy and leading key initiatives for the nation's largest integrated health care system. From 2014 to 2016, Dr. Lee served as Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Resources for former Governor Terry McAuliffe. It's good to have you with us, Dr. Jen- Dr. Lee. It's great to be here. Thank you, Dean. A little bit about our discussion today. I really want to talk about the basic elements of Medicaid expansion. Who will be covered under the new eligibility rules, and how many people are expected to benefit from the new eligibility rules? Well, we're excited to um, be sharing that uh, there are a lot of changes happening to the Medicaid program. So uh, under the new uh, budget bill, we uh, are going to be changing the rules for eligibility in the Medicaid program. So starting this fall, for coverage to begin in January, uh, the uh, many more uh, Virginians will be eligible. Up to 400,000 is what we estimate will be eligible for Medicaid coverage. And uh, essentially, folks who are eligible for coverage uh, will be eligible if they're between the ages of 19 to 64, they're not already eligible for Medicare, and they meet our, the new income requirements. And what kind of services are going to be covered under these new rules? So it's comprehensive health care coverage, all the same services that are available to our current uh, population in the Medicaid program. So that, that means... Um, doctor visits, hospital stays, medications, lab tests, mental health services, addiction treatment, the whole spectrum of coverage will be available to the new new population. You mentioned that these services will, this coverage will begin next year. Are we looking at January, the beginning of January calendar year? Yes, January 1st is when we were directed to uh, to begin coverage for the new, the newly eligible population, and we'll be ex- begin accepting applications uh, this fall, but the coverage itself will begin in January, January one. How will newly eligible Virginians apply for this coverage? Well, there are a lot of ways to apply, uh, and I'll name a few. But all of the information about how to apply is available at our website, coverva.org. CoverVA.org has all the information. You can apply online. You can call in. It's 1-855-242-8282, 855-242-8282. You can also go to your local DSS, of course, um, and the Common Help website. So there are a number of different ways to apply, and we're working closely with our local social service agencies in order to uh, get the word out and make sure that everybody knows how to get how to apply under the new rules. You mentioned Cover Virginia. Is that the name of this Medicaid expansion? Is that the name of the program? It's the name of our campaign as okay. we get the word out, yes. So uh, we actually came to that after doing some focus groups. So we did focus groups with uh, 
currently uninsured in individuals uh, in both urban and rural areas in Virginia who would qualify, we expect, under the new rules. And that uh, we tested a few names, and that actually was the name that resonated with health coverage for them. Um, and we also found out that uh, they are very interested in the health coverage. Uh, they want the coverage. Uh, many of them are working and just haven't been offered affordable coverage uh, in the past, and they know that they need it and they want it. Let's talk a little bit about cost. Do we know what an estimated cost for Cover Virginia is for the state? And then for the locals. So uh, for the, I, I think you're asking about sort of the startup costs for expansion when you ask about Cover Virginia and, uh, and, the, and of course, staffing up and providing more resources for the locals. Um, we have been provided funding to do that, uh, both uh, directly through in the budget and also through a new uh, what's called a provider assessment, uh, essentially that through the hospitals we are going to be funding uh, the startup costs, you know, for Medicaid expansion. Uh, I don't have an exact number for you yet because we actually are still uh, fine-tuning and getting some of the, the the exact cost details estimates from our contractors. There are so many contractors we work with, um, both us and at Medicaid and also at social services, uh, and they are, uh, let me tell you, they're working very hard uh, but they're needing to get us some estimates. So we plan to use a multifaceted approach, um, staffing up with the contract support uh, at Cover Virginia. But I know that my partner in all this, Commissioner Duke Storen at the Department of Virginia Department of Social Services, has also uh, provided additional resources in terms of uh, staffing uh, and some technology and equipment for the local agencies. And this was all... Uh, in the state budget that was adopted uh, that began July 1. Is that correct? That's correct, Great, great. Well, let's talk a little bit about Medicaid expansion and local governments. And how is DMAS working with local departments of social services to improve the eligibility and enrollment process? So uh, we're working very closely, largely through uh, our state partner, uh, the Virginia Department of Social Services. So um, we, uh, Commissioner Storen and I, um, have uh, developed a great partnership in implementing expansion, and together we've reached out uh, to the local social service uh, officials. We just had a informational session for about 300 uh, local social service staff recently, and I think that was well received. I hope so. We're trying to get as much information out as soon as we can uh, and as far as we can. Uh, And we know that we need to do this in partnership together. It's a big change, but it's an exciting one because we'll be able to help so many more people get that health coverage that they need. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how local and regional jails are going to be affected by this new coverage? Sure. So uh, as as you know, uh, jails have uh, historically been able to bill Medicaid uh, for some hospitalization, for some inpatient services, for uh, their incarcerated individuals. Uh, under the new rules with Medicaid expansion, a larger percentage of the inmates will be able to be eligible for coverage now. And so what that means is it's actually going to ultimately lift the burden of some of the cost from localities and from jails uh, by, uh, again, the greater coverage. 
Um, so we're working closely with uh, state, with regional, with local officials. Uh, we want to streamline that process for accepting and processing applications uh, for incarcerated individuals as part of our um, new program under the new rules. Uh, and, um, you know, we're we're all ears in terms of ideas for how to do that. Um, but I'll just uh, thank in advance, uh, again, all the local and state officials um, on the correction side who've been working with us. And we're piloting, even last week, we just uh, tried out a new process uh, at Deerfield to see if we could uh, improve and streamline the enrollment for incarcerated individuals. Go back a little bit, talking a little bit about the adopted state budget uh, that was just just recently passed. And uh, one of the things in the budget assumed that community service boards uh, will be able to replace state general fund dollars with Medicaid billings for their clients who have no insurance now but will become eligible for Medicaid. How is DMAS working with local community service boards, CSBs, to ensure that they're able to provide behavioral health services and receive reimbursements properly? Mm -hmm. Well, CSBs are a a critical partner with us in successful implementation of Medicaid expansion. Um, We, uh, as you said, Dean, uh, it's a a big change for CSBs when we uh, believe will will be beneficial uh, ultimately because the impact will be uh, a change in uh, individuals previously who were uninsured, who were paying out of pocket or perhaps not at all for the care they were receiving at CSBs, now being covered under Medicaid and being able to get uh, the full spectrum of services, uh, including case management, which we know is a critical uh, service that CSBs provide. Um, so uh, we need to work closely together to uh, get as many of uh, the individuals who are served by CSBs enrolled under the new rules. And uh, what we're we're uh, doing is at this point planning a series of town halls for this fall, uh, specific to our partner uh, CSB uh, organizations, um, to get out uh, ind- information um, that would be um, uh, framed in in the best way possible for the folks that they serve. And um, we're looking forward to to again looking at how we can help uh, streamline and facilitate. Uh, enrollment as much as we can for every population, but specifically we know how impactful and how needed the services are for this group. So uh, we're open to ideas for how to do that. And um, so far, I think, have been um, working in a really great way with our CSBs and and with, again, our state uh, agency, um, uh, Commissioner Melton and his team at Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services have been great partners with us, too. Dr. Lee, Let's talk just a little bit about uh, the work requirement waiver. We heard that debated all throughout the General Assembly this year. Uh, I think that's called the 1115 waiver. That's right. Tell us a little bit about the, about this waiver. Sure. So um, I, you know, I want to stress that the, uh, the budget, the way it was outlined for us, our requirements were to work in parallel on both changing the eligibility rules and ensuring that we could enroll those 400,000 individuals into the, the, the program come January 1st. Uh, in parallel, we are also working on uh, the 1115 waiver, uh, which 
there were specific requirements in there as well. So we believe uh, that uh, we will we are on time for submission of the waiver to our federal partners at Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, and we are um, on target with meeting all the requirements in the law. But in that waiver uh, are uh, some new requirements for those enrolled in the Medicaid program uh, and also uh, some new benefits. Uh, it's, it's hard to outline exactly what those will be ultimately because what will have it happen process-wise is a negotiation with uh, the, the federal agency that oversees us, CMS. Uh, we'll have to work through the details of that waiver but uh, we uh, are in active development uh, and, again, plan. Uh, we expect to meet all of our timelines and requirements in submission of the waiver. Well, when, do you, when do you expect this waiver to be actually be implemented here in Virginia? So um, I wish I had a crystal ball. It's difficult to say exactly when because, again, it depends on when the, the feds approve the waiver. Uh, but we are, uh, again— What is their timeline? So, you know, I guess. yeah, so uh, looking at the experience of other states, so some states, I think the the fastest we might be able to expect approval is about six months, uh, but some states have taken up to two years negotiation with the feds on their waivers. Uh, some of it depends on just the queue ahead of us. There are some other states ahead of us uh, in consideration of their waivers. Um, but what um, I can say now is that uh, we've had uh, a, a very open dialogue uh, with the feds. Um, they've been very responsive, very receptive, and uh, we expect that you know we'll we'll get you know due attention and a timely um, response to our waiver application. Um, but it's hard to say. You know, when once it is approved, we will need some time to also implement uh, what's been approved ultimately in that waiver. So. Uh, what you know, we expect that there uh, we probably will not be doing a whole lot of implementation on the waiver next year in 2019. Just looking, just looking at the timeline and the experiences of other states. Uh, and in the meantime, we are completely focused on what we need to do to uh, get those up to 400,000 individuals enrolled in the program under those new rules. And that's what um, the budget laid out for us that. Uh, as we work in parallel, as the waiver is still under development or negotiation uh, with the feds, that we will continue the rollout of the new rules in Medicaid. You know, the implementation of this, you know, is a big step. Uh, a lot of work goes into the, to starting this program, this Cover Virginia program. Absolutely. But one of the things that I'm concerned about also is that at the local level, uh, the implementation, uh, is there going to be... Uh, any kind of discussion going forward on, on three months down the road, six months down the road, road on ways to improve our services, improve our implementation? Uh, it's a great point, Dean, and I think uh, it's this is all new for us, and it's a lot of change very fast. I mean, this is a very aggressive timeline that we've been uh, given by the General Assembly, and uh, I think what we uh, owe to our local partners is uh, open lines of communication and flexibility. So uh, we're we are trying now. Again, uh, we, we're uh, trying to work in collaboration and in partnership with all of our key stakeholders, our localities in particular, our key stakeholders for success in implementing expansion. 
but we may not get everything right right out the gate. And so it would be great to get some feedback. And we're very open to um, to modifying our approach and changing course for successful implementation, which I know is what all of us want. I mean, we really want uh, these 400,000 Virginians who really uh, need that care to have you know the best chance of uh, good health, um, wellness, success at work, a great quality of life. And these new rules and changes in the program, we believe, will really bring that about. Dr. Lee, let's talk a little bit about your marketing uh, of Cover Virginia, what you're doing. Um, you know, this podcast is, is one way to try to get the message out to localities and to local governments. What else are you doing and do you have planned to do uh, going forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yes, yeah, so this uh, uh, we are doing a multi. We have a multifaceted approach to getting the word out, but we could always use help because there's just so much change so fast. Uh, a couple of things we're doing. So I mentioned the coverva.org website. Um, it is now um, actually a more of an active site. So if you go to coverva.org, you can put in your cell number or your email and get uh, up to date texts and emails about what's changing. Uh, because a lot will be changing in the next few months. So that's one easy way to stay up to date. It's just it'll take 10 seconds. Go to CoverVA.org and put in your your cell phone or your email address to stay uh, current with us. Um, Second, we've gotten a lot of requests for speaking engagements, and uh, we are trying to do as many as we can, but we know we can't be everywhere. And so we are actually developing a speakers bureau where we're training other speakers who can then go out and educate and train others. And anybody can come and be a part of that. Um, we've already done a few trainings, and we have more in the works. And uh, we're also doing some virtually. So we know that not everybody's uh, here in Richmond and can attend in person. So that's another thing. Um, in Great idea. You know, I like that. Um, Thank you. Think about local yeah. government. Uh, if there's a way that uh, you could reach out to local government uh, to have someone uh, be a liaison. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, uh, we'd love to do that. I mean, we need to, uh, again, local government, are, they're key partners in this, in making this work. So uh, we uh, invite ideas and suggestions for how to do that more effectively. We also have an advocacy summit. There are a lot of stakeholder organizations out there um, who represent members and folks who will become members potentially. And so we're having an advocacy summit in September. Uh, and uh, anyone is welcome to come. It is here in Richmond, uh, uh, so there is that. But we're um, trying to get as much information out virtually and on the web as possible, too. Great. Well, Dr. Lee, it's uh, thank you for being with us and sharing your thoughts on Medicaid expansion with the County Pulse. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dean. 